You are listening to the Change Management Review Podcast, where we bring you the best tactics, strategies, and actionable insights for change through our powerful interviews with change management practitioners and leaders. And now here's your host, Teresa Moulton. Welcome to the Change Management Review Podcast. My name is Teresa Moulton. I'm the Editor-in-Chief. And today we're going to talk about you can't know it all, spanning, and what that means in terms of leadership expertise. I have today as an esteemed guest, Dr. Wanda T. Wallace, Managing Partner of Leadership Forum. She coaches, facilitates, and speaks on improving leadership through better conversations. She hosts the weekly radio show and podcast, Out of the Comfort Zone, and is the lead the lead author of You Can't Know It All, Leading in the Age of Deep Expertise. I'm very happy to welcome her to our podcast this morning. Thanks, Teresa. It's a pleasure to be here. And one of the things that I was really excited about in um, our previous conversations, Wanda, was really uh, your concept about spanning and leadership. Could you tell us a little bit more about that? All right. So I want to contrast two different ways in which people gain credibility as a leader. And the first one, one that everybody will know and know well, is expertise leadership. This is not first level leadership or individual contributor stuff. These are leaders sometimes all the way to the top of the organization who are deep experts in their subject area and know everything there is to know about that particular area. Some of them stun me at how deep they can go, even if they're all the way in the C-suite. I've been amazed by a few of these. The general statement about um, management is that we become generalist, that that's the path and the growth, but it isn't in my world and in what I'm seeing in the last decade. Expertise is too valuable. We can't manage risk without expertise. We can't find solutions without expertise. So expertise is alive and well, and it's what gives people credibility. Okay. And if you think about it, this is the person who was just promoted from a peer to being a manager of the team. Everybody on the team is happy with that promotion because they recognize that person has greater knowledge than they have. And therefore it's a merited promotion. So meritocracy is all driven around expertise. However, there's this other thing that I call spanning and I call it spanning because I wanna get away from the concept of general management. I think general management is just dead. Nobody is a generalist anymore. Mm. We all have areas of expertise, but as you take on larger responsibilities in your career, you have to start at some point reaching outside your area of expertise and leading across areas of a domain for which you have a little bit of knowledge, but not great depth. And that's what I call spanning. You're spanning domains, right? And you are relying then on people who are below you or part of your team who have the depth of expertise that you don't have. So that's the spanning world. Most leadership roles are some portion expertise and some portion spanning. So it may be 90 expertise, 10% spanning, or it may be 30% expertise and 70% spanning. So there's some. So if we come to change professionals, 
they're an interesting group of people, in my experience, because many of them have an area of expertise, their change management processes, their project management tools, and so on. That's their area of expertise. But the bulk of their job is actually a spanning role. Mm-hmm. where they're trying to look across a bunch of domains for which they know a little bit, but not any depth, and to rely on other people who have depth and to keep that group coordinated and moving forward. So it's more spanning than expertise. Whereas I bet the people you're trying to persuade are often more expertise and less spanning, would be my guess. So that's the concept. Yeah, I think you're exactly right um, regarding the change management perspective. And um, I know from coaching executives also that uh, they really do struggle when they're in the deep expertise and they have to span. And so one of the things in our change management uh, role is we're trying to bring more coaching into the change management toolkit. And as we start to form tighter relationships with uh, sponsors and build more rapport and become more advisory, um, the issue they really struggle with is uh, influence and confidence. Yes. And so what do you, what can we do, do you think, to help them um, become better at spanning, I think, right? All right. The way to become a spanning leader and embrace it, it starts with a step that is so easy to say and much more difficult to do. Until you understand how you're adding value, when your value is not about your expertise, mm. you can't move past. So if, and that's how you get out of your comfort zone. I have to understand how I'm adding value now. So as a change management professional, you're adding value by connecting people. Mm. You're adding value by keeping people focused on the strategic objective. You're having adding value by setting priorities, by keeping timelines going, by keeping communication open. There are many ways in which you add value, but they are less tangible than how I've add value as an expert. Okay. All right. As an expert, I can run the spreadsheet and tell you where the risk is, for example, or I can run to the engineer, or I can write the program, or I can do the marketing campaign, but it's, those are tangible. See, look what I did. Right. In the spanning space, it's not so tangible and it scares everybody to death because you feel expendable. Yes, the imposter syndrome is such a big trend now. And they've done research, as you probably know, where 90% of professionals yep. feel like imposters. Well, if you are stepping outside of your comfort zone and doing something you haven't yet mastered, and you haven't understood what your value is in this situation, everybody who's normal would feel like an imposter. Right. (laughs) By that, I mean, you feel like it's a matter of time before somebody figures out, I don't know what I'm doing. And the truth is you don't yet know. But if you lean into how you add value and recognize that that communication process, somebody needs to do it or else we're all in deep trouble. Mm-hmm. and that's your value add and do it, then you find I feel less of an imposter because I know how to do that part. Mm. I don't know how to run the spreadsheet, perhaps. You know, that's um, that's a that's a really good pointer for us in so many parts of our life, not just in you know thinking about leadership, because I think we're coming out of this mentality of we have to do it all. You yeah. know, we've got to yeah, do right. it all. And um 
so now it's kind of how do we, how do we give ourselves some grace and appreciation for what we are good at? And, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So I liked the title of the book is you can't know it all. Right. I follow that with you can't do it all or learn it all. Right. And the idea in a modern complex organization that anyone would know everything or could do it all by themselves is a little absurd. Yeah. How do you, well, I'm just curious right now. How do you see this playing out with like teams, like executive teams? I, I'm just thinking, wow, this could be a kind of wild concept for a team. Well, and it depends upon the individuals in the team. I mean, I certainly have some of my executive teams. Like I'm thinking about one person that I wrote about in the book mm-hmm. who was a CFO yeah. and they're a massive organization. There was nothing that went on in his organization that he didn't know in infinite detail. I mean, like nobody was that crazy. I won't crazy. It was him. It was his personality. And that had massive payoff for the company in terms of how the analysts saw him and the confidence they gave in his reporting, in his ability to spot mistakes, you know, let's say in a merger or an acquisition that others, even on his team, hadn't spotted in his approach to developing professionals. So when he developed people, you were a deep finance, none of this, you know, experience across the company thing, deep finance. And the legacy of people who've worked for him and under him is pretty incredible. So that's him. And that executive team was not going to be any different with he was going to be the expert. In contrast, I think about another team where the chief legal officer, somebody that you might think would be a deep expert, could be if she needed to be in this particular case, but she was quite skilled at strategy, very skilled at innovation, um, really skilled at coming up with new technology-oriented products, you know, kind of spearheading that. She had this broad breadth of interest and curiosity. Now she has her depth in legal, but this breadth is Mm. something she also brought to the team. So sometimes how this happens on the executive team um, is dependent on the personalities. It's dependent upon the CEO's preference for the kind of people. And it has a knock-on effect through the organization that is felt Mm -hmm. all the way through. Wow. So how do you take someone who is so prone built and basically baked into leaning on expertise and help them help them span um i know i asked this question before and you said you know get confident in what they do do but what how do you get them to let go i guess in this instance yeah letting go is you know so if you think if you understand how difficult it is to let go i think you get a little more emphasis uh, empathy because this person has been leading for 10, 15, 20 years. Mm-hmm. Their credibility is based on their expertise. They're called to right. meet internally and externally because of that content expertise. They're held accountable for making sure there are no risks and there's high quality in their organization, again, leaning on their expertise. Their teams come to them and say, hey, boss, how do I solve this problem? And they can give the answer. Now, it has a negative consequence because the team doesn't then learn to think for themselves. They just learn to go ask the boss for the answer. So there's some problems with that. And eventually the boss gets overloaded and says, what's wrong with all the people around here? Can't anybody do stuff themselves? All right. So 
I start speaking to these expert leaders about the other places that they need to add value that are less tangible and get them to see that if they're not, let's say, building the network or connecting the different groups on a strategic agenda, then their teams are limited in what they can do, that that's one of their greatest value adds. So when you can get them to see another value add outside of the expertise, then they're ready to say, how do I free my time Mm -hmm. to spend more time on this other stuff? But I've got to get them to value that other stuff first. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And then we can go to the skills, right? And then, so the first question is, how are you adding value? The second question is, okay, how am I spending my time? Followed by how do I know my team is doing the right stuff? So there's a little bit of giving up of some control of quality there. And then the third one is you have to lean into the relationship skills because the relationships now change. People are not trusting you because of your expertise. They're trusting you for other reasons. And that's a whole other game. This is um, very breakthrough for me, um, given my my, um, experience in organizational development, change management, just the people side of stuff. And also just experiencing the dynamic that we're in, you know, as you said, in this kind of era of business and how it is just flipping on its head. And so we really have to learn everything we don't know about how we show up and operate. Right, right. And I often say you have to understand, do I need to show up in this meeting as the expert or do I need to show up in this meeting as the spanner? That's interesting. Like you're switching depending upon the day, the moment, the occasion. And there are two dramatically different ways of leading. Everything about them is different, but we never talk about that switching game. So, you know, am I leaning in the logical argument to solve this conflict, the facts, the data, or am I leaning into the emotions to solve this conflict? Right. People must, your clients must just be kind of like deer in the headlight once they kind of get this. And, there, and it must feel like, wow, I have a lot of development to do. I often talk to people, particularly at that upper mid level, where they've been expert leaders, gotten great reviews and praise yeah. and accolades and promotion because of the expertise leadership, are overwhelmed with the job, don't know how to keep going, can't imagine doing their manager's job, but don't know what's holding them back from making the next step. And when I show them this other half, they go, that's what's holding me back. Now I know what I need to do. That's a great group to work with um, because I think you can have a lot of impact there and really help a lot of people. And I do think they're suffering there. Well, yeah, I think a lot of people are suffering and including the people who work for these leaders who can't guess what their roles are and their value are. So there's a lot of uh, gain to be made in the organization for getting this right. Yeah, because those leaders don't feel grounded, right? They're always they're always just you know kind of like how do I show up for the best right. the best outcome? Right. With this underlying kind of current. Right. Interesting. So you know what's coming up for me now is I'm bringing it back to the change management uh, role and I'm thinking about um, an enterprise-wide change. Uh-huh. And I'm thinking about how that type of governance is set up with a reliance on a cross-functional team with subject matter experts. Yes. And, you know, I'm on a project right now where, um, you know, there are some challenges in how the subject matter experts relate to each other. Yes. Um, 
what would you do in that situation right. to help them understand maybe how to apply spanning to it? All right. One of the things that I think goes wrong is, and so you got to understand what goes wrong in order to know the solution. But one of the right. things that I think goes wrong in these kind of cross-functional groups where we want collaboration, that's the ultimate end game. We all come together to see the greater good in some way. All right. Yeah. But expert leaders come to that collaboration with a worldview that is well honed in the discipline of their work. So in their expertise. Right. So in controlling risk, for example, in controlling legal, in controlling cost, in, you know, they all have what we have to do it in some ways in this narrow way, because otherwise my world blows up. Right. That kills collaboration. Because collaboration means I look outside my expertise to understand other areas. And that is what's so difficult in these kind of big projects where we got cross-functional teams. Okay. Now the skills for how to do that are, you know, sort of well-known, but it's getting the individuals to recognize that their worldview is not wrong, but it's not the only one. Right. So getting them to respect and appreciate there's another area of expertise that is controlling another thing. Let me give you one of my favorite ones in a manufacturing company. This was actually an auto industry. Okay. So you want um, innovation. You want new product offering. You want new bells and whistles on the auto, you know, new electronics, new program, new gadgets, because that what allows you to sell. Mm-hmm. So engineering is keen on, sparred by marketing, is keen to add stuff. That's what they're going to be evaluated on, the design, the cleverness, the uniqueness, the features. Right. Their job, and that's what's fun for them. Manufacturing is rewarded on having zero errors. Right. They need no change, no new introductions, nothing different, plug and play, consistent supply. Those two are both right. I can't run an auto industry without both being correct, but they're at loggerheads in terms of providing customers with what they need. And both are right. If I can get them to understand each other's worldview, then we can break open some compromise on how fast, on when, on what kind of components, et cetera. Mm. Yeah. It's interesting to me as you as you talk about that, I'm thinking okay, well, there's another aspect of expertise um, and how it can actually limit. Exactly. It limits the communication, limit the end product that we're trying to get at. Right. Well, we often talk about expertise leadership as if it's bad and it should be abandoned. And, you know, in today, in a knowledge economy, no way. Right. No way. It's here, it's central, and it should be. It just can't be the only thing. Wow. Well, this has been uh, incredibly interesting. Um, what are some of your, like, if you were to summarize, say, your top three points that you want the world to know about spanning and uh, expert leadership, what would those be, Wanda? Okay, so the number one I'm going to say to you about spanning, so it's a balancing game. Okay. The first question you have to ask is, in the role that I'm in, what proportion of my time needs to be expertise? What time proportion of my time is spanning? And that will depend upon the job you're in, the particulars of the problems there, and the skill of your team, as well as a whole host of other things. So ask, you know, okay. get some guidance from your superiors who can help you understand where you need to be devoting your time. 
So that's number one. Number two, get clear how you're adding value, Mm -hmm. particularly in the spanning space. And often you can't see what your greatest value add is. But when you talk to a superior, particularly a boss's boss, they are very clear about the ways in which they want you to add value. Okay. Like the thing they really want you to zero in in. And they're often quite clear about putting you in that role because of that capability. So ask those questions early on. Mm-hmm. Ask it of your key stakeholders. And then that allows you to say, right, my job is predominantly to contribute in, let's say, the um, building the consensus among the team, Mm -hmm. whatever it might be. That's Mm -hmm. my predominant role. If I get that wrong, I'm going to spend my time doing that. Mm -hmm. Yes, I have some other things, of course, of course, but I'm going to spend my time on the big thing that people are waiting for me to do. Okay. Mm -hmm. All right. So that takes the pressure off. All right. That tells you how you spend your time. And now in the spanning space, I have to lean into all the relationship skills. Mm-hmm. I have to learn the art of diplomacy because I'm not going to win an argument by facts in mm-hmm. spanning. It's emotional territory. So I've got to get skilled at doing that. I do have to understand who's inspired and what are they inspired by mm-hmm. and how am I going to do that? And I got to get really good at influence. Mm-hmm. Influence is not let me tell you my facts and keep beating you until I wear you down. Right. Influence is understanding where you're coming from, whether that's a difference in uh, interest or a difference in beliefs, mm-hmm. and how I can skillfully, diplomatically get you to consider an alternative. Beautiful. Beautiful. Okay. And so I'm wondering do you teach um, certificate classes or? Uh, all those types of things to help people learn your your methods? I don't have a certificate class because most of my work is done as um, in-company programs. So okay. a particular company would bring me in or an association or something like that. I did experiment um, with doing a class online and I don't know, it's hard to get enough people signed up to it to make it worthwhile. Maybe I'll get back to that. At some yeah, I think, I think this is really something that people people really need to know and experience um, your perspective on it because the way that you talk about it really shines a light on the, the core root cause issues that people are really struggling with. And I don't think they're front of mind for them at all. We we attribute it to all to personality and yes, personality is a piece of it, but that isn't really all that's going on. And if you'll understand some of these other nuances then it gives you more degrees of freedom for dealing with the personality. Yeah, it's fantastic. So how, how can we get a hold of you? All right. Um, you can find uh, find me on my website, leadership-forum.com, including a bunch of articles and the podcast and everything will be accessible there. Send me an email at wanda.wallace at leadership-forum.com or LinkedIn or Instagram, Wanda T. Wallace or Twitter or any variation on that thing, I think I'm reasonably findable. Right. And your website is WandaWallace.com. I also have, that was my more personal website. The company okay. website is leadership-forum.com. And there's a podcast website, out of the zone.com as well. Uh, that's fantastic. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to share your wisdom with us. It has been absolutely a treat uh, speaking with you. And I'm excited for all of my listeners to learn from you in this conversation. 
Great. Thank you, Teresa. It's been a pleasure. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Change Management Review Podcast. Be sure to follow us on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.